Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 22nd of May 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. The heat of the summer has returned to Hong Kong, holding hands with the damp of the late spring. This heat takes some getting used to, and I struggle to maintain equilibrium. It's hard to keep on an even track sometimes, and as we're wandering the city hiding from both raindrops and sunshine this week, we'll be listening to a story from Niha about finding her own balance. After Niha, we'll hear a story from Gina about another difficult time in her life. Before we get to today's stories, though, a big affectionate hello goes out to our fantastic hometown listeners and supporters. We get so much love from this city, and we appreciate every bit of it. Hugs go out, too, to listeners in our sister city of Macau, and to Singapore and Taipei in Taiwan. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. On May 30th and June 1st, Hong Kong Stories will take to the stage with our favorite stories from the past 12 months. These two shows are part of the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival, which is an extravaganza of spoken word performances, all taking place at the Fringe Club in Central. We'll have Hong Kong Improv, Comedy HK, Peel Street Poetry with Spill Stories, Liars League, and five of the top podcasters in Hong Kong interviewing their specially selected guests. Tickets are available from the festival website at hongkongspokenwordfestival.com or through hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now from our December 2018 show with the theme of happy, here is Niha. It was the summer of 2008. I was a full-time mother of a toddler. I hadn't had a social life going for myself. I hadn't looked at my face in the mirror in days. The only sound my ears were familiar with was mama in all different moods and tones and cries. A two-minute bathroom break was a luxury of its own. I hadn't had a night out in a long time. When my baby boy Veer was born, he looked exactly like the marzipan doll that I used to look at on my computer screen at work every day. I fell head over heels in love with him. He had beautiful big eyes, lovely long lashes, a big round face, and I fell in love with his toothless smile. I enjoyed wrapping him up in a towel, giving him baths, dressing him up in different outfits, rocking him in my arms and watching him fall asleep. He was the apple of my eye, my beautiful Veer. I was always watchful of his diet. So I would cook him healthy, gluten-free meals. He would often go around grabbing food on others' plates and breaking their porcelain when he was refused. 
He was about two at the time. One morning, after a long sleepless night, I saw myself losing it at him for wanting to eat something that he wasn't allowed. As he swipes the plate off the coffee table and I watch it break into pieces, I watch my hand go up in the air and scream, Veer! And when my eyes met his, I saw the look of terror in them. It was as if time froze. I heard a loud voice in my head go, What are you doing? Stop! And it took me back to the time when I had promised myself, when I was 11 years old, that I would be a different mother, a much more caring mother. My own mother did not speak very kindly with my sister and I. She was often very angry. She used anger and violence to drive her point home. This was when I was growing up in Bahrain. I was six years old at the time. I look up from finishing my homework and my sister sat diagonally across from me on the bed. She had fallen asleep on her homework. Mom was sat on a sewing machine on the bed. She looks up right at my sister and loses it when she sees that my sister had fallen asleep. She blindly grabs something and flings it right at my sister, realizing a little too late that it's a rusty pair of scissors that had poked my sister in the leg. My sister wakes up in a shock and she's crying, not knowing what had actually happened. Blood is pouring out of her leg. My, my mom gets up tries to stop the bleeding and asks my dad to take my sister to the hospital, but not to tell how the injury had occurred. It was like watching a scene from a horror movie. The six-year-old in me was flabbergasted. I felt that if I went against my mother, she would kill me. One morning when I was eight years old, my mother sent my sister off to school, but kept me back home. I asked my mother, why aren't you sending me to school today? She said, because I don't see that you're studying. You don't need to go to school. She walks to the cupboard, takes my pink school fees card, rips it to pieces just to tell me exactly what she meant. I start to cry. I beg her to do my hair and send me off to school. She didn't pay heed. With tears in my eyes, I went back to my books to prove to my mother that I was studying. In the exams that followed, I stood first in class. And I brought back the report card to my mother. 
because they had to sign it. She said nothing. In fact, she didn't even speak with me for days. A few days later, my dad asked me to apologize to my mother. I didn't know what he wanted me to apologize her for, but I did because I wanted her approval. I wanted her to love me. As we grew older, we would have other children in the neighborhood come to our place because mom was tutoring them. I would, speak, I would see her speak ever so kindly with them, like she has the most patience in the world. With my sister and I, if we made a mistake, that would result in our cheeks being pulled and our head being banged against a wall. I mean, how can this person have so much kindness and patience for strangers' children and have the exact opposite attitude towards her own children? One thing, it made me question what kind of parenting style this is. I was 11 years old when I decided that I would be a different mother. Back in my living room as I gather my thoughts, I pick up my marzipan doll veer and put him in a safe corner away from the broken glass. And as I gather those pieces of glass, I swear to myself that I would never, ever speak with Veer again in a raised voice or give him that look of terror. I am grateful to Veer because he helped me keep that promise and I have been committed to that promise for the past 10 years. Neha's story isn't an easy one to tell, and we've had several short conversations about what, if any, advice or information should be given on this podcast for anyone in a similar situation. Many people in difficult moments in their lives feel they have no one to turn to. Neha said she found turning to meditation started her on a positive route to changing the patterns from her own childhood. Whatever struggles you're having today, we hope you find the peace to move forward and the comfort in stories that show that you're not alone. If you want to share your story, whether it be of struggle and despair, happiness and hope, or anything in between, come to a workshop and we'll show you how to get the most impact from your telling. Find all the information you need at hongkongstories.com. Our second story today is one from Gina who tells us of a different kind of challenge that she faced. From a show in 2016 with the theme of Fresh, here is Gina. 
I'm standing in this tightly packed bus in Discovery Bay. Private cars, taxes including, are not allowed, so you take a bus. It's hot. It's middle of July and it's so hot. The air conditioning is broken and I'm sweating profusely. I can't really wipe off the large drops of sweat of my forehead because I need both arms to hold on to the handlebar. My shirt is soaking wet and in this muggy heat, I'm freezing. My teeth are clenched and I'm shivering. My legs are barely holding me and I can barely stand. A middle-aged woman stands up from her seat and offers this to me. Thanks, but I'm not pregnant, I politely decline. <laughs> well, honey, you look like you need to sit down. And she's right, I do. So I gratefully accept the generous offer and I sit down. I've been sick for a number of days now. The fever just would not let go of me. Day in and day out. Nights have been especially bad. I haven't slept in days. The deep, gut-wrenching cough, turning my insides out, just would not let me. The doctor said it was an infection of some sort and gave me some meds, but they haven't been working. And my body has been weak without any relief, but my mind gets these random moments of clarity. And I'm in denial I might be off work for a while, so I continue to log in from the bed, and I'm able to keep up until the words start losing their cohesive meaning, and I understand each of them separately, but I can no longer put them all together. <laughs> I should stop. And so now, I'm on this overcrowded bus, sitting down. I lean back and I close my eyes, and I'm immediately feeling like I'm falling, falling further and deeper down into this abyss, and now I'm scared. I'm scared I can't bring myself back up, and I'm gasping for air, and I want off this ride, but my mind is still strong, so I pull myself out. And I see the images of my grandmother. She was very ill when I was little, and I remember nurses coming every day to administer these glass jars on her back. They would squeeze them on, leave them for a while, put them on fire, and then squeeze them off, pulling the skin and flesh with them, leaving these perfectly circled burn marks on her back. And for an impressionable five-year-old, this looked like it was Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> the illness was pneumonia. Nasty, nasty stuff, this pneumonia, my grandma would often say afterwards. And so I grew up in fear, in fear of pneumonia. The bus ride was to the nearest hospital. I finally gave in and decided to have it checked by a specialist. The place is neat and bright, and after waiting for what felt like eternity, my name is finally called. Right, okay, so respiratory symptoms, cough fever... Have you traveled outside of Hong Kong in the past two weeks? Mm, actually, yes, I have. I was in Taiwan for three days. Hmm, what was the purpose of your visit? Wait, this is a hospital, right? Not immigration services. Um, I was there for work. Mm hmm, were you in contact with live chicken? Was I? Good question. Um, not that I'm aware of, no. I mean, I work in an office, just computers and spreadsheets mostly. <laughs> so after waiting for a bit longer for my x-ray results, I finally get to see a doctor. Well, I actually don't get to see him, really. He's wearing a mask. Uh, <laughs> but I see his eyes. They seem kind. And a scrawny figure with tight black jeans and black sneakers. So he pulls up the x-ray screens 
And he looks back at me and he says, you have pneumonia on both sides. Covering the majority of your lungs, you should be admitted immediately. It's quite extensive. Oh, God. My heart just drops, and I'm trying to take a deep breath, and I can't because I feel so congested, and I immediately feel so overwhelmed with being so deeply sorry for myself. I just was not prepared for the daily torture, and what sins have I committed anyway? What have I done to deserve this? And I just break down in tears. And so he takes my arm, and he takes my hand, and he looks at me with his kind eyes, and he says... It's fine. It's all fine. The worst is over. We'll administer antibiotics or an IV, and you should start feeling better very, very soon. But what about the flaming jars? I toppled him through my tears. <laughs> he gives me a blank stare. Thinking it might be a language barrier, I decided to clarify. Well, you know, those flaming jars, the glass jars that are squeezed on and off your back... <laughs> He lifts his eyebrow and he says, you'll be fine. <laughs> You're fine. So no jars? No jars. After being quarantined for a while, being checked for influenza A and B, I'm finally admitted. An intern comes in, she's also wearing a mask, and she is introducing herself and says, I'm going to come back at 4 o'clock and I'm going to ask you what your name is and if you have any allergies. Hmm, would you like me to tell you now? <laughs> she just gives me this blank stare and she leaves. The nurses are nice. I don't get to see their faces either, they're wearing a mask, <clears throat> but they seem kind. They don't seem to really understand what I'm saying, but the feeling is mutual, so it's okay. After a bit of trialing and error with, um, with a two-inch needle trying to find a vein on both of my hands, I'm finally connected to an IV. I'm told I'm going to get physio in the afternoon. Physio? What do you mean physio? I I'm not here with a bad back or twisted ankle. Physio? I'm connected to an IV. I can barely get off the bed. Physio? Wait. Can physio lead to flaming jars? <laughs> no, no. He promised. He promised not to. So the dreadful afternoon comes. A tall, large woman in a mask, wearing bright purple scrubs and pink shoes, comes in. She doesn't have any torture devices, but she's holding a towel. And I'm desperately trying to see some kindness in her eyes, but her look is stone cold. She commands me to turn on my stomach, and she starts pressing all these fancy buttons on the hospital bed. And the leg side of the bed is going up, and the head section is going down. This is extremely uncomfortable. I can barely breathe as it is, let alone with my body upside down, leg up, and head down. She puts the towel on my back. Why did she put that towel on my back? Could that still lead to flaming jars? <laughs> No, no, he promised. Needles? Acupuncture, maybe? I heard it's popular here. And then chop! Her hand just landed on my back and then chop again and again. Holy freaking Bruce Lee! Lady! That hurt! But she commands me to turn back on my stomach and she keeps on going. I mean, 
I've lived in Hong Kong for three years by then, and I've seen traditional martial arts, graceful Tai Chi practice in the morning. Damn, but this is not Tai Chi, this is Kung Fu. And she keeps on going, and she keeps on going as if my back was four layers of wooden planks. Oh, I get it. This must be the Chinese version of the Spanish Inquisition that my grandma had to go through. Okay, 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 I confess. I tell you anything you want me to, just please, 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 just stop. At this moment, a deep cough comes out of my chest and a substantial amount of ball-shaped green goo just runs out of my mouth right into a cup next to my bread. Whoa! That was some serious martial arts skills right there. <laughs> and at this moment, I instantly felt just lighter. The lady's eyes lit up with joy, and she says, Finally, I had to break up the congestion in your chest so that you can get it out. You should start feeling better immediately. Next morning, I do feel much better, as promised. This corny doctor visits me every day. For the next eight days, I was connected to the IV. I still don't know how his face looks. Just his kind eyes, the mask, the black jeans, and the black sneakers. But I know it's all fine. And above all, I've picked up some Kung Fu skills. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's story brought to you by Hong Kong Story. Our hero of this podcast is Gina, who curated and directed the December 2018 show. Thanks too go out to all our community-focused groups who are performing at the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival. You are all appreciated. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.